Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. I am Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And we are continuing our series looking at Moses and Jesus. And this week we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus walks on the sea. The way that this online service works is we will have some announcements for you directly after this welcome. Then we'll have the Word of God read, the Word of God preached, and two songs to help guide you in your worship. Our prayer is that wherever you are, the Holy Spirit makes this a time of worship, and you can experience God's presence wherever you are. Know that we are grateful that you are connected with us, and know that you are welcome here at Stonebridge. Now, let us worship God.
melody of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We can live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever
Um, as Pastor, Pastor Jonathan said earlier in the service here, um, this, this is like a summer day in Seattle. That would be pretty normal. And what that's done to me living there for five years is that I just don't have a lot of sympathy when people tell me it's cold here. I'm sorry. I try. I want to. But you don't know how great it is here until you've lived elsewhere. So if I ever seem callous to you saying, oh, I'm so cold or something, that's where that comes from. I'm working on it. Please pray that I'll have more grace. This month in January, we've been looking at Jesus and Moses and the Gospel of Matthew and the way Matthew compares these two figures in the Bible. And this evening, I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And I invite you to hear the word of God. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed a strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and I invite you to join with me in prayer. Lord, we gather this evening to hear from your word. We gather this evening to lift our voices up to you, to praise you, and to hear from your word, to have you speak to us, to have you change us, form us, mold us into your disciples, Lord. So we ask that through the power of this scripture, you would speak to each and every one of us. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, may these scriptures be illuminated. May we see you clearly, and may we follow. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned, we've been going through this Jesus and Moses sermon series, looking at the way Matthew compares and contrasts Jesus and Moses. Matthew, throughout this gospel, numerous times in this gospel, will leave little clues, little hints. Sometimes they're not so little. Sometimes they're very clear, but sometimes they're subtle. My wife, Emily, has taken to calling these Moses morsels. You can use that if you want. I, I understand if you don't want to call them that. But she said it's like little crumbs that just lead you up to Moses' house. She has an active imagination. But that is a good description of what Matthew does here. He leaves these little clues, these little hints that are meant to bring Moses to mind for us in a story about Jesus. So as I was reading this story, 
you may have been sitting there wondering, what does this one have to do with Moses? What are the little crumbs? What little hints are there in this story? And I'm just going to be upfront with you all. They're not in this one. This is not a story where I think Matthew had Moses in mind and where Matthew was intentionally trying to make us think of Moses. There's no little literary clues here. This is a story of Jesus walking on the water. There's no connection with the language, with the other stories. I don't think Matthew was thinking about Moses when this story was written down. That being said, though, for us today, I think there is still value in taking a story from a gospel and comparing it to how God worked in Moses' life also. Because the truth is, even if Matthew isn't explicitly, intentionally thinking about Moses here, Moses' stories were so ingrained in the minds of Jesus' earliest followers that Moses is going to sneak into the story. These stories were so well known and they shaped the way that the first followers of Jesus thought about God that you can still see connections. And by comparing this story to one from Moses' life, you can learn about God. You can learn deeper truths, I think, than just looking at the story on its own, each individual one. It can highlight certain aspects of God. And I think with this story of Jesus walking on the sea, comparing it to the Israelites' crossing of the Red Sea, can teach us about God and God's character. The story of Moses leading the Israelites to the Red Sea, it's one of the greatest hits in the Bible. It gets mentioned over and over again in the Bible. It's the track that they just keep on going back to. And this story, what it tells us is that the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were in Egypt as slaves. And Moses was sent to lead them out of Egypt to lead them into freedom, but more importantly, to lead them to the promised land, into a relationship with God, into life with God. So Moses arrives and challenges Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the ruler of Egypt. And Pharaoh says, no way, the Israelites aren't going anywhere. And Pharaoh's holding on to them because they're slaves. The economy, it rests on them. So God sends these plagues and eventually, over time, Pharaoh says, okay, you can leave. So Moses, the Israelites, they pack everything up. They're walking out into the desert. And ahead of them is the Red Sea. But then behind them, Pharaoh's army comes up. Because Pharaoh changed his mind. Pharaoh said, no, you're coming back to Egypt. And the army is sent out to take the Israelites and pull them back into the life of slavery. So in front of them, they have the Red Sea. Behind them, they have an army. The Israelites are there being led by Moses. It seems like there's no way out. And then all of a sudden, God, through Moses, parts the waters of the Red Sea, creates two walls of water so that there's dry ground, and they step into the dry ground, and they walk step by step across the dry ground to the other side. The waters then collapse on Pharaoh's army as Pharaoh's army was trying to pursue them with murderous intent. That's the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. And that story, there are similarities to the story that we have here in Matthew chapter 14, the story that we just read. There are some similarities. And asking the question, what are the similarities, I think, can begin unlocking what these stories can teach us about God when we put them next to each other. There's one obvious similarity between these two. 
The first similarity is water is involved. In the Bible, when you come across stories about water or passages about water, it usually symbolizes something deeper. It's something about the way God would work, I think. Water in the ancient world was different than we think about it. You might think of the sea and you think about going to the beach or a nice sunset or sailing or something along those lines. Or you think about water, you think of a swimming pool. That wasn't what water was viewed as. Water was dangerous as often as it was life-giving. And large bodies of water, they could become tumultuous. They could take people's lives. There were massive floods that would take place. Water in Bible, very often, it points us to chaos or a fear of chaos that the people are experiencing. But in this story, water, it serves that function. It is a threat in both of the stories. In the story with the Israelites, as they come up on the water, they can't just go through it. They would drown. And in the story with the disciples, they're in the waters, they're in the boat, and the wind is picking up, and the wind is building. The water is there, and it's a threat in each of these stories. The other similarity in this is that the people of God are involved. The Israelites in the story with the crossing of the Red Sea, the disciples, which becomes really clear in the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples represent the new Israel, a new beginning for Israel. Not really a new Israel, but a new beginning for the people of Israel. It'll happen through the disciples there. So the people of God are involved in both of these stories. Those are the main similarities that I can see here. Another question, though, that I think we have to ask is, what are the differences? And it's really in the differences, I think, between these two stories that we can start to unlock how God was working and character traits of God. So the differences here. The first one is that while there is a threat with water, the nature of the threat is a little different in each of these stories. And the way the water functions is different when you look at the actual details. In the crossing of the Red Sea, the water isn't rising up. It's just standing there passively. It's more of an insurmountable object than it is an active force. The real threat in the crossing of the Red Sea was Pharaoh's army coming up and creating this tension here. If the Israelites had had more time, they could have just gone around the Red Sea. But they don't have that time, and that's Pharaoh's army that creates that dynamic. The action, the tension, the real threat is Pharaoh's army creating this situation. In the disciples, in the boat, the threat is more so from the wind and the waters in the natural world. And the fear really comes from Jesus approaching. That's when we're first told the disciples are really afraid. They think he's a ghost. So that is one of the big differences here. But the key difference to me is in the responses of the people of God in each situation. In the responses to the people who are there in the story. Place yourselves in the shoes of the Israelites, or the sandals, or whatever footwear they had for their journey. I don't really know what they would have been wearing on their feet. Place yourselves in their place, their situation. How's that? Imagine that you're there, looking at the Red Sea. Behind you, an army is coming, so you know there's trouble. But then all of a sudden, the waters part. Something that you've never seen happen, something you've never heard of happening, 
and two walls of water are created and you're expected to walk through and the entire time, at any moment, those waters could just collapse on top of you? I don't know about you, but that would create crazy anxiety for me. (laughs) That would not be a fun journey. And taking those first few steps, for me, it would require a deep level of trust. And I think for any human beings, you have to trust God is actually going to keep those waters up and hold those waters up so you can get to safety there. Trust was required there for the Israelites to continue this journey, to not freak out, turn around and say, Pharaoh, we will go back to slavery. We almost assume that the Israelites just went through it perfectly confidently. But I don't think that's a safe assumption. This would have required a lot of trust. Look at the story, though, with Jesus walking on the sea now. Specifically, Peter. We're told Peter calls out to Jesus and says, Lord, if it really is you, call me to walk out to you. And Peter takes that first step onto the water, and he's able to to walk on water. But then his trust falters. His trust fails. Peter's trust, lack of it, leads to him beginning to sink. And he becomes more and more afraid. There's a difference in those two responses there. The Israelites took step by step on the dry ground there, had to continue going. Peter took one step and his trust failed him. think with these two stories, you see the people of God, they respond in different ways with trust, and there's two different ways of trusting in God here that are highlighted in these two different stories. Now, another question I think it's good to ask right now at this point, what exactly is trust? When we're talking about trust, what exactly is it? The basic definition is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Again, a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Trust is those, one of those words we throw around. And we know we're supposed to trust in God. But trust is really, really difficult. We talk about in our culture people having trust issues and not trusting other people and putting walls up. And it makes sense that we all have trust issues because trust is so easily broken. All the time, we human beings, we give each other the reasons to not think we're reliable. We give each other reasons to think that we aren't going to act in the best interest of the people around us. Trust is really, really difficult. And when it's broken, as I'm sure every one of us knows, It's much harder to rebuild trust than to build it in the first place. Trust, it takes time. It takes consistency of character. It takes people journeying together, walking together. Trust is difficult to build. It's difficult to have. It's difficult to hold. Trust, though, is central to a life of following Jesus. In these stories, one of the things I think we can look at is, yes, we're all supposed to trust in God. And we do have different models of trust. And it would be really, really easy to say at this point, just be like the Israelites. 
Just trust God. Don't be like Peter here. Although I have heard people say it's great that he did take that first step, and it is. But he can't keep it consistently. He can't keep it going. It would be easy to make that point here, but that's not the point of the stories. The biblical stories, they're not actually about us. They're not about the human characters. They're ultimately about God, and we should learn something about God. And the truth of trusting in God is we don't do it for God's benefit. We trust in God for our benefit. Trusting in God, it's not something that's just going to please God and make God happy, though I'm sure it does make God happy, but it makes God happy because when you trust in God, you are living life in the way God has called you to. When you trust in God, you are free of irrational concerns and anxieties, of concerns and anxieties that shouldn't actually be creeping in on us. Not all irrational fears. I'm somebody myself, I deal with anxiety all the time, so it does creep in. And my trust does waver. But trusting in God, the deeper it is, it's for our benefit. It's something God invites us to. It's not just a command that we can say, just trust more. And with these two stories, the ultimate thing that I think we can learn from these two stories, putting them next to each other, looking at them and examining them, is that God is faithful regardless of how much or how little we trust. You may have heard at times different people tell you that if you just trust more, God will be faithful, or if you have deeper faith, God will be faithful. God's faithfulness, it doesn't rely on you. God is faithful regardless of how little or how much you trust. With the Israelites, God was faithful to bring them across to bring them to safety. With Peter, he freaks out, he loses his composure, he starts to sink, and Jesus picks him up and carries him back to the boat. God is faithful regardless of how, fail, how much our trust may fail us. That, I think, is the key to these passages. Through Moses, God was faithful to the Israelites. Through Jesus, God is faithful to the disciples and, through the, and to the entire world. Trust is really, really hard. But the way it builds inside of us is not by focusing on ourselves and trying to make ourselves just trust more. The way trust builds is by focusing on God, focusing on God's character. Being so focused on God's character that we're not even thinking about how little or how much we are trusting we are just pursuing Jesus. That, I think, is the basis for trust. So may we accept God's faithfulness. May we embrace God's faithfulness. And may our eyes be focused on God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we know that trust can be so difficult. And that trusting in you, it's hard. For so many of us, Lord, it's hard. The concerns of this life break in. The experiences of this life break in, Lord. But we know that you are faithful. The stories throughout Scripture teach us of your faithfulness. Help us to have our eyes focused on you and focused on that faithfulness, Lord. Lord, deepen our trust as only you can. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.